WSQF Bleak Radio 94.5 here in the Young and Old Show. Yours truly, the concrete conservative, whether you like it or not, become conservative, become concrete. And this is an anti-plastic position. This is pro-concrete. We're I don't have your. I don't have. I don't have your freaking microphone on yet. Socialists, relax. This isn't equalitarian. There's nothing equal here. Me first on the Young and Old Show. This is the 24th episode of listening to the radio socialist. The future is not as bright as I thought it was. But he's giving me clarity. Go ahead. Your microphone is now on. Yeah, this is a pro-concrete, pro-cement show. This is the quicksand show, where you sink little we, by we, little. We, we don't do we don't do sand here. We don't do pavement. We're concrete. That's right. We're a is non- concrete pavement. One thing, perhaps. Yeah, probably. I I must admit, my concrete's got a little bit of cracks in it. But they used to call me crack when I was a kid after I fell out of the truck. My friend uh, Benji. Everybody know Benji? Donna Gallery Benji. Shout out to Nelson and Benji. Benji's out in, on America's Turnpikes as a key rack turn trucker. So saludos. I tell them all the time to listen to us. Now that I am back with a vengeance uh, with three days a week instead of one day a week. Um, of course, I was completely out for a year after my strokes because I had the John Fetterman moment. So this is, I got a topic because this has been going on for a while. And You're into <clears throat> hot air balloons now? I'm hearing that everybody's talking about it is, how do you feel about like this book banning that's been going on under DeSantis? Well, the books themselves, from what I've uh, in, in, gathered with others who, of course, of my political persuasion, we're finding in the books that communism is stuck his ugly head under the title of CRT. So one of the books... That's like a made-up word, though. CRT was made up by the Discovery Institute, a right-wing think tank, to kind of push agitation toward your base. Okay, The term now, means nothing. Okay, so the critical race theory that we're seeing in, in curriculum has nothing to do with the, the fine lady who wrote a book about it. So we just made up for the sake of it? I'm not so sure that's true. critical race theory, the term itself, is like a ratchet term. It's meant to gather as many things possible the way it's being used now. Pretty much. uh, Well, elaborate. The guy who coined the the term, I'm going to look up his tweets right now. Um, But it's pretty much just like a made-up term for getting the the base mad. Um, No, that wasn't the motivation. It's communism in this curriculum. We have it right here. Um, Christopher F. Rufo. Who oh, Chris tu- Rufo? When he was on Tucker, um, he coined the term, and um, he says, We've successfully frozen their brand, critical race theory, into the public conversation and are driving up negative perceptions. It and will eventually turn it toxic as we put it, as we put all of the co- various cultural insanities under that brand category. So it, the way it's being used, it doesn't mean anything. Uh, that, that, that's the pivotal problem. Is this guy has admitted... It's just everything that we don't like. This is like debating um, anarchists, where you're like, no, um, people should be people should go to jail for some stuff, and they're going to go like, oh, you're fascist. It, it, it's the same. This is from the right. Nah. Yeah. Come on, man. You can't convince me of that. 
Oh, I, I know I don't have to. I can just inform the audience of the truth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I imagine you believe that the 1619 Project is also... I, I, there, there's there's problems with the 1619 Project. From well, what I hear. There, there's the, historical problems. Well, um, the, the embryo that is a 1690 Project is spawning before it's even given birth. It's spawning into these curriculums. Communism in a bizarre way disguised as critical race theory, uh, uh, gender equality. Uh, I, are you against gender equality? I, I, I guess this... Not if there's, there's more than two, no. Because the, these are the questions I just have for... I'm not into he, she, and... Because uh, they, 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 they don't... Like, I was a teacher, so I, I taught and I did a critical thinking class. And I remember I sat down and I read... Plato during my off time to be able to prepare to, to teach these kids about this stuff. And I, I would argue, by all intents and purposes, from my whole background under five years of studying philosophy at college, that Plato kind of functions as the, the godfather of conservatism. Um, I'll go with that. You know, he's very much pro-hierarchy. He believes in using rhetoric and intellect. He's, you know, distrustful of the masses. You Is know. he into individual liberty or not? Because you haven't mentioned individual it. liberty wasn't really a concept back then. In other words, he didn't believe in the man that develops his skills and his intuition and forethought to become a better man, and therefore raising the shit of the all of humanity as his inner circle becomes uh, more prepared. Well, or, he wanted the kids to be smarter than the the sophists, but the, individually, the, guy, the guys that he was training to think, he wanted them to be smarter. He wanted them to point out bull. Okay. Stand up instead of standing by. Yeah. So, like, um, but what did you like about Clay, that Plato? Well, what, it could possibly be so the collective. When, when I went to the kids to teach them this stuff, and they're like, "What use is debate? What use is rhetoric?" I, I pointed out that how you can debate any news story that comes up, and I tried my hardest to keep the the school curriculum centrist. I, I taught at a mostly black school, so I, I tried to make it relevant to the African. American experience. Okay, but do you so believe what, in Nicole Hannah-Jones's book or not? The, the 1690 Project? I, because have, I, I don't. I, I've heard both. a lot of problems with Tamimi um, from, from my camp with the historiosity of that text. So I, How I, about I, total distortion? Yeah, but here's, here, here's the question. Is that um, we can't even teach and talk about stuff like the Civil War if we can't go into slavery. If we can't talk about... Cause, I will tell you, the other person working with me to train the kids was a black conservative. You know. She, I made one. Yeah. His name is Eric White. We, we, she, He's now 50 years old. Eric, what's up? Up in Atlanta. We, we got very well along. You know, I, um, she was training the kids to, you know, read kind of and tra- learn about black history. But she was having them read Ben Carlson at the same time that she was talking to them about the, the move bombing in Philadelphia. So it's like, but explain the moon bomb. We talked about it earlier, which was when the Philadelphia police dropped the bomb. Start playing with your a, toys. Yeah, leave the microphone alone. Dropped a bomb on a, a blacks um, armed settlement that they were having a shootout with. Okay, what year context? I think this was the seventies. I can double check, but more or less, like you know, she was concerned about telling these kids about their history. You know, she made them read Booker T. Washington, who was kind of the first black liberal. Um, so what I had really you, seen when you is, mean black liberal, do you mean black progressive? He he wanted them to be kind of um, politically emancipated. He was a billionaire. He was a slave, and he made it to billionaire. Okay, billionaire for his time. Pretty much. 
Um, and he wrote about his experience. With, what the cotton gin? Uh, he he would talk about you know mounting stuff on top of the mules, like you know then yeah after, the cotton gin basically yeah, perfected and then, the then, um, having to. But you know what you know them. what the real controversy about the cotton gin is is that slavery really takes the the move bombing was in the eighties. <laughs> The move bombing was in the 80s. But, like, so I had kind of seen how when I hear about what Ron DeSantis and, like, what these people are talking about, what they don't want taught, I'm thinking, well, you know, I was the white leftist. She was the black conservative. We were here to help these kids in a community that had not really been taught much of their history, trained. We came from an academic background, and we wanted these kids to be equipped with it. In whichever direction they felt or went, I mean, I can tell you, there were times that I really tried pivoting the kids to kind of a both sides argument but the kids already pretty much sympathized far more already with radical conclusions without me having to do anything now she had a different class or different grade level or this was a high school class so she taught in parallel with you not together in the same class we we got very well along we very much like we were but you never taught together we did also you did taught in the same classrooms but it was like the kids are already much more progressive and much more radical Anything. Because of their age or because of uh, her influence? Well, because of Trump. Really? Good Trump grossed out the kids so much that they had little faith in the country that produced him. Like, one of these kids was actually um, an African immigrant. Not African American. From Africa? Af- yeah. And his mom was very much, you know... Elon Omar type. Well, very much like, no, like, she was like, you know, we came here, we're going to do a good life, we're going to push ourselves up. And he's like, man, I don't... Like, this country is a joke. Any country that elects Trump was a joke. Okay. It was kind of his feeling. I I understand that. And so it I, was like, what I had seen was kind of like, you know, like, hey, like, there are those of us, like, I, I leave my political, like, I leave my agenda at the door. But I, what I am As a to, teacher. As a teacher. But what my agenda, my other, my teaching agenda is to make sure that kids are taught the facts. Is I'm going to come here and I'm going to tell them all of history. I'm going to tell them, like, hey... Well, I mean, why, why would the kid expect that from Trump? Well, not Trump, but, like, was the, he, he, upset, he poisoned uh, their attitudes about the country. By, what, insulting them or or his abrasive attitude or like his he, tweets? He, they or they or thought what? that he was abrasive, like he was just, like, gross. He and was, you don't think that was, uh, was impacted by the teachers that were teaching them? You included? I mean, I, I said no such thing about Trump, really, at the time. I really... But she probably did. I mean, she liked Ben Carlson. She was well, she, she was a black Republican. The, she was telling he, the, Trump she was, was smart these, in bringing Ben into his cabinet. It, she was telling these kids about the virtues of like you know market capitalism over much more controlled economies. So, okay. like so, e- even these people who I like I, I bring her up because when I hear people who I'm just hanging out with, like I went to a joint the other day on Saturday and I overheard just a family talking about these concerns. It's just like. You know, I imagine that someone with, you know, kind of a, but man, a you pan-African go into, attitude. Time out, but you go into concerns, but don't tell the audience what concerns you're talking about. Well, the concerns are they're like, oh, they're going to like gender neutralize our children. They're going to teach them to hate the country. And it's just like, no, we're here to talk about everything that, you know, the existence of the United States of America. Like, I, I'm going to bring up what I liked about the country. I'm going to bring up the stuff that I think we do well, but I'm also going to tell them the full picture of, like, you know, you know, like, hey, ladies and gentlemen, we're an empire. We're kind of moving away from that, but that involves a lot of war. Like, the war is a part of our history. And to just. It's, all, it's a part of the human history. Yeah. 
and I, I would gladly say that, but when we're talking about, like, America, I'm not trying to shame the, the white boys and girls of the class. That's not my goal. My goal is just to come back from my college experience and just teach them the stuff that I hadn't been taught. Because like you re- had not been taught or had been taught? I hadn't been taught. Um, you had not? No, because I remember um, when I went to high school, I had a really cool teacher who taught me in-depthly about the war in Iraq and all the mismanagement that had happened. But I'll tell you, I went to college... Yeah, billions lost. I I went to college a a right-wing libertarian. You know, No way. Are you admitting to this audience that you at one time, and I didn't know this, were a right-wing libertarian? I've said I was a libertarian. But, like, I very much believe that, like, you know, the war turned me against the government. The war made me distrust the government. Why Why didn't September 11th get you to want to fight somewhere, somehow? Because no one was clear about who these people were. But what were you supposed to do? Conduct an investigation? They're all dead. We just... Oh, I get it. You wanted us to bomb Saudi Arabia, not Iraq. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the part that you maybe, get. Maybe not bomb, but like take diplomatic, strong action against them. I would have been entire... If I, if I had known back as a 10-year-old, because I was 10 when 9-11 happened, if you were delivering me all the facts and we had been t- spoken about this, I would have been like, yeah, you know, and I, I still harbor that grudge toward the Saudis... To this day. To this day? You know, like, I I can tell you, I remember I was rolling my eyes when all the liberal press were talking about how progressive MBS was. And, you know, it's like, no, this is a horrific regime, which, like, you know, does war against Yemeni's children. And then, lo and behold, a Washington Post guy gets killed by this regime. And, oh, now it's suddenly the liberal press realizes that, like... Oh, Khashoggi you're talking about? Yeah, Khashoggi. That this guy is no liberal hero reformer. He is another state aristocrat, autocrat. Khashoggi was uh, going after them hard. Man. Yeah, yeah. He like, went mean, after the royal family uh, so hard. I that, mean, they recorded his screams. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They the, chopped them up. Yeah. The, there's nothing that can be said about the barbarism of the Middle East. So the Saudis are Sunni in the end, and the Sunnis are known to be very, very violent. And Shia just more radical in terms of revolutionary. But who's to say, you know, who's more violent, Sunni or Shia? Uh, I know they hate each other's guts for so long that they're probably just as violent. They've learned from each other. So I, I um, think everybody's pretty violent. I think the biggest <laughs> mistake America has made, and it's very clear now more than ever, that a great injustice has been done to our youth. I mean, attacking uh, our president. Bin Laden was a CIA asset. Yeah, so so was so Fidel, like you know so was Fidel Castro, big but deal. like you know, but what, what I mean so by was the, Manuel Noriega. But like this is another case of blowback. So like when we talk about, and I feel when we talk, hey, about, so was Hunter Biden. So like, well, he didn't do terrorism for us. Yeah, that, they that's were, the difference. They were watching. He, he, he didn't do terrorism. Um, well, he might have facilitated a lot of intel with who he associated with. But like Bin Laden was an armed combatant. He he was he was given money. Absolutely. So no, it, remember it, Bin Laden, the family. He's very but close Laden, to the, but very close we to the have top. people who fought with Bin Laden in the mountains, and they would talk about that yes, experience. Yes, but he was one of many family members that were of Bin Laden last name who were big, big-time construction, management, and developers for the royal family in Saudi Arabia. Yeah. No, he comes from a wealthy family, and yes. he, he kind of had and his... Multiple, multiple had his brothers and sisters and multiple wives. He had his come-to-Allah moment. Um, and, you know, what more radical. But more or less, like, you know... To me, when it's like, 
I was taught, you know, in-depthly about what was going on in Iraq, and I was taught how, like, you know, you get bills signed and all of the stuff in politics, and I, I very much valued that teacher's experience. So what I wanted to do was merely replicate. I, you know, I don't... Because here's the thing. When you look at the history of any country, like, really, any single country, and it's like, this is why I'm a leftist. It's like, when you look into the history of any country, China, Japan, um, you know, the Korea... Um, I North guess, and South. Australia, um, you know, England, France, Europe, like all of Europe, like even like there are great African empires even too. Like all of our crimes are everybody's crimes. Like the United States isn't special. Isn't. It isn't special. It makes just as, mis- as many it make, it mistakes as the other. It makes the other mistakes other... as every other yeah, country. all empires so, are flawed. Yes. Yeah, so, so it's like when I feel like conservatives don't want this stuff taught. Like, not you, but, like, other guys who get mad about this who are like, oh, we're trying to get... I don't think it's taught. I think it's emphasized. Perhaps, but, like, you know... But like, it, I it, feel like I was taught in a manner that was very exam-oriented. I don't believe my teachers were on a mission in any way or form. I don't believe they were, uh, you know, indoctrinating me in any way or form. I, you know, I came from a Jesuit high school uh, experience where... They really, you know, I mean, but the Jesuits they brought did, they brought it hard on us. You the know? Jesuits did good stuff and they did bad things. Well, they were known to be. Well, there you go. Here's a here's some censorship for you. Speaking of Jesuits, they were known to have leftist tendencies tendencies in, mer- in a myriad of revolutions dating back to you know Ignatius de, de Loyola. But I must say. That it was taught uh, that history, for history's sake, was to exclude Jesuits from the history. <laughs> we, by the time we talked about Jesuits, it was already, uh, you know, theological, meaning faith-based, based on Jesus Christ, and the history of his passages as uh, as he walked the earth. So, didn't get involved into the politics of Jesuit and. The Jesuits, even to this day, including our Pope, you can see that they are somewhat, uh, uh, you know, foggy or their opinions are kind of skewed that, in fact, they are very much into the the left. In other words, collectives, uh, socialism. I mean, I would blame that take, on Jesus. Yeah, uh, uh, <laughs> support the poor, feeding the poor, the, the massive... Uh, uh, projects that, that the Catholic Church takes place many times executed by the finances and the no, and the know with all of Jesuits. So yeah, we, uh, we can go down a rabbit hole that you know you can dedicate shows and shows about. I mean, that. It, it's even it's even but this. Take, 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 for example, this. But time I, out. I, I want to say one thing. But the way they were teaching me, it was pretty chronological, and we got involved in in wars themselves and told us. Uh, Hey, prepare for an exam. It was so exam-oriented, you know. It was just prepare for the test. The test is coming. And it was, they were brutal. They were brutal about the, the way they taught us. Hard, hard stuff. A hard way. It wasn't multiple-choice-oriented like public schools are. It was essay, man. Essay and fill in the blanks. and Essay and write me this and write me that. But that's as far as it went to me. It was just difficult, period. A lot of reading at home that I failed to do. A lot of, you know, stuff at home that you had to do to keep up. And uh, that's the part that was the hardest for me. 
but in public school, yeah, I see some like of the stuff. You have a learning disability like me. Um, I, I definitely can't deny any disability uh, <laughs> only because you're of, like, are you sure you're ADHD? And I'm like, are you sure you're not? ADHD I was never. Too? I was. I was. A, the only thing that I know for sure I was was a stutter. I stuttered uh, first, second, and third grade, but I already had to repeat it first. But as far as uh, so did I. As as far as my education, I find myself more self-educated than I am taught by the Jesuits. Um, as much as I believed in the Jesuit m- mantra, I just didn't do well didn't do well in school to be able to say that um, I had a great education. Um, the school I'm making reference to is Belen Jesuit Prep. I was very moved by a commemorative book I had been looking through last night. From all the years as far as uh, 1524 when they established themselves in Cuba, it's a very old a Jesuit uh, conquest of education here in this part of the world, in the new world. So I was very moved by that. And I, I guess, like, for me, it's, you know, people, like, I'm a Buddhist, right? And people just assume that Buddhist history is all, like, rainbows and sunshine. But, like, you know, the The, Dalai the audience Lama, has got to be asking right now, how Buddhist are you? I am pretty Buddhist. So how practicing are you of Buddhism? Um, shout out to the Nichiren Temple, um, a mile away. From the from Kibis Kane, okay. I've been trying to enter your guys's place for about um, for a couple of months now. I've did calls and I've not gotten any call back. Um, I do you got you have references <laughs> from your previous uh, church? Up I, I, I from my, pre- my previous temple. Um, I was in Nichiren Daishonin for about three years. Then I did. Tons that's of, in DC in in Silver Spring. Then I started. I found um, a Buddhist nunnery. That was about 20 miles away from my house over in, God, it was like farmland in Maryland. Um, and I spent the, I want to say the lighter half of 2021 and 2022 just doing yard work with the nuns. Wow, cool experience. Um, yeah, I know. They, they were very groovy. Um, it was would, actually, they, would they call it groovy or no? I, I like calling nuns groovy when they're cool because it's like... They 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 give good vibes. Describe, they, make... they 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 describe them to us because I'm if I'm perplexed. They were a bunch of actually. It was interesting. They were all white, even from other like European countries. Are they dressed in any type of? They had the garb and everything, the car, and they yeah. were all all very sweet old ladies. Um, and they were all white old ladies, and they were and they, Buddhist they, came, since... they came from Europe and America, um, and they were kind of tending to this place. That they... Any sense of them being ex hippies? From the sixties or no? No, I not, not that I not, not that I could feel out. You're uh, right. Not that I could feel. That's out. not something you would ask, though. Um, they're very kind of modest. The, um, there was only the only one I really got to know well. Um, Aniwago was the, actually the woman who I had seen. Remember the story? Oh yeah, in front of the White House. Yeah, I had seen her and I got to meet her again. Um, wow. So so you met her first in the White House and then met her in the convent. Yes. You don't call them convents. What do you call them? Um, Temples. I guess monasteries. Monasteries. Yeah. Did they have like a structure behind it, or were there homes, or what? It, it was like a shed and a farmhouse, and a bunch of people would come down to the local community, and we would just do like <laughs> garden work or whatnot. Um, and over this time, um, <coughs> I, I helped. Sure. Yeah. The, the, our silent time is. Guess what? I'm having a freaking coughing attack. It's terrible. It's terrible, 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 terrible because. For, Coughing and radio suck.
sucks. Who the hell wants to listen to a, a coughing polar bear? That's how you know we're really authentic. Yeah. Uh, coughing polar bears because our studio is frozen. Here has to be super cold because the equipment here is super hot. And in order to keep this equipment cold and you from, you know, keeping you from sweating it out, uh, you got to have it cold in here. And today I don't feel cold. I never do. I'm just as cold at my home as I am here. He is fidgeting and freaking out. He's cold as all hell. But at the same time, I don't know. He thinks the Buddhism is within because he doesn't come with a sweater. Sometimes I do. Um, one day I'm going to see he's going to come here with a tray full of candles to keep himself warm. But you know we can't have that in well, here like, either. So I, I've had a bit of experience, and it was like since moving to Miami, I've been kind of <laughs> looking for a place that's open. But isn't there one in the Grove, a home? There's yeah. like a house in the middle of a neighborhood. I've seen it's it. It's like during Wednesday that's open, though, I think, something. But Wednesday. can't you speak to someone in there because it's close yeah, by? That's true. And um, just get a feel for it? Is there anything you have to prove that you really. are in order for them to let you in? Do not they have really. ceremonies or just quiet prayers? I've prayer? been in ceremonies, though. I, I have been anointed by a Nichiren. Do you, do, you have, do you have to show proof of that? No, you just bow before them. You have to know the the manners. I, um, for example, my favorite thing that I learned from the Nichiren is that um, there's a prayer. Nichiren is a priest. It, it's the, it's a Japanese sect. Okay, um, and it means pure Buddhism. True pure Buddhism. Like yet, yeah, I, I later. What does that mean? Uh, silence. Uh, they they think they're better than the other ones. Wow, they're so they're snobby, a uh, snobby Buddhism. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I, I kind of interesting. I kind of left them. They were a little bit too. I found out that like they're pure than all the others. They, there's a bit of that. Um, it, it was pretty funny going from them to the um, Tibetans. And the, the big thing I learned is that um, that no one really talks about in life. Everyone thinks the fanatics are the people who are really, really hardcore or really, really serious. But, but are they also really, 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 really peaceful? Yeah. Um, they're just or very, is everybody peaceful? There, no, there, there is violent sex. There's a 787 movement um, that's trying to expel Muslims from their land right now. And they're Buddhist? Yeah. But, like, that, that, that's what I wanted to talk but about. But when you say their land, Buddhist land. Yeah. Okay. Is that, like... Where is that occurring? I can get back to you in like a moment. Like Bali, wa- somewhere in the Far Bali. East, yeah, right? it sounds like... It's like a Far East, because I know like, that there's... I know that there's, there's sects of Muslims in some of the most Buddhist countries, and it's very terror-oriented, and... Well, they, it's, they've been fighting for a really long time. In the, in parts of Indonesia, there's, um, there's tremendous Muslim sects in Indonesia. Or am I wrong? Malaysia, and a bunch of those countries, because I know they were on the terror watch list for a while, and for the longest time, in my ignorance, I thought they were all Buddhists over there. It turns out that I was completely wrong, and Muslims uh, are, are more than fifty percent of the population in some of these places that I always thought was more Buddhists than Muslim. And there's so much to learn about the world that you almost run out of out of you know out of time. Um I guess I just gotta bring you back to the United States because we were on the sixteen nineties. It's Mymar. It's Mymar. Um uh, Mymar. They're, they're Mymar. Yeah. Yeah. So but um but very much um a lot of people don't talk or know that like a lot of Buddhist temples used to work on with slaves. Um the Dalai Lama was pretty much a god king. Okay. Like, he is a god king, which is interesting because Buddhas are not s- supposed to choose to end reincarnation. 
And he believes in ending... And, and they believe that they're the same out. Buddha king who chooses to reincarnate over and over. And oh, when and they find him... In, and they he, manifest he, they, in him. Yeah, and they give him the throne. So this Dalai Lama, when he passes away... Well, the, the Chinese have crushed a system. They've already chosen the next Dalai Lama. Really? Yes. So since the so Chinese... The Chinese have pretty much kind of genocided this culture. Wow. So you think the... You think that they're not going to be able to succeed at getting the uh, Tibet to be secular, obviously. So, what would this Chinese pick of the Dalai Lama actually mean to Tibet? It means it's now a puppet state. So they would. What, what do you believe that they? I don't know. I'm asking. Uh, what would you? What would you? What would you think they would do differently if China finally gets a hold of? of the renegade runaway province that they believe is Tibet. I think we might be looking at another Yugir situation. Yugir? Tells that. The the Mongolian Ooh. Muslims. Okay. In China? Wouldn't that be in direct conflict with Hinduism? Well, they, they oh, no, the, those are the ones that the the Chinese government's currently trying to beat out their Islam. From the yeah, system. They, but, yeah. yeah, yeah, they try to weed it out. I, I think they're going to do the same they thing. To they have them in concentration camps. I think they might do the same ones who. Oh, they might do the same to Tibet. I think, yeah. Oh, that's that's very sad. That's unfortunate because I don't know if the United States would come to their defense at all. Period. Well, what's interesting is that I met a lot of people who I really respect Tenzin, and that's the current Dalai Lama. Because he's been really upfront and upforward about this, and in opposition to China, in opposition to China, but like in this, I think around there is a certain point where the CIA offered him help, but he turned them down, realizing that they were going to play him. Hmm. So, um, because it's kind of hard. But to be, oh my God, it, it's kind of hard to uphold a lot of Buddhist principles while in politics. Um, yeah, but if you got this massive billion population staring down the. What choice do you have other than to embrace Western culture in some capacity? Well, we're not supposed to fear death. But how about total conquest? Because um, here's the thing, is that um, it's no crime to defend the Dharma, which is the teachings. But there's a very big understanding of impermanence. That the, you know, the first Buddha, Shakyamuni, said... Yeah, my teachings are going to be completely irrelevant in 2,000 years. Mm. Uh, and that time has come. That time has come. And that's what a lot of sects kind of say, why they're going to break off. Like, listen, we're more modern. We've adapted. Um, we don't need this anymore. We don't need to do and it this way anymore. Did, did the original Buddha find reason behind it just fading away like that because it was going to be accomplished? Like, for us, our faith pretty much is until he comes again. So we have, like, a definite time, um, as explained in Revelation. Well, other, you know, the, have you seen the fat, jolly Buddha? That, that's what I've been called. Is it, that's not, that's not that the me? same Buddha. That, that, that is another Buddha. Because okay. my name is Manuel, so <laughs> I can easily be Emmanuel. Therefore, I can be godlike, and I got the jelly belly. So why don't you just anoint me? And then we'll uh, both go into the temple. More or less, there there are other there are very many different variations in Buddhism, right? And this was supposed to be one where there's a savior thing. There is even other sects, um, the Nichiren, the Orthodox Nichiren, because the one across from Cupus Cain is a more liberal sect that like people like um, hokey pokey type. No, a little bit more concrete. Um, no, wait a minute, wait a minute, you're messing with the concrete conservative here. 
Why are you using the word concrete? Because they, they have a system and they stick to it. Those guys, the these ones, the more liberal ones, they simply don't believe in the, like, infallibility of the priests, but they believe in the ritual. So Now, are you have to, are there Dali, no, sorry, are there Buddhists that cling and uh, desire for some reason to live right by the temple and pretty much don't deviate? Like don't be, don't go on the radio, don't hang out like you're hanging out and living. Well, this is what I we, we call the middle path, and this is what I really like. And I'll tell which I'll is t- how you live now. Which is uh, I like the story of the Buddha because, um, and I take it as a bit of like you know some reality and some metaphoricalness to it. Is that um, the Buddha was an aesthetic, but he when he was still looking around because there was a big community in India at the time of people going into the forest trying to find like you know spiritual. Prowess. Awakening. Yeah, awakening. Um, and many of these groups, they either starved themselves or they devoted themselves to ritual. And um, because many Americans get wrong where they're like, oh, the Buddha starved himself. And it's like, that's like saying, well, um, gosh, that's like Well, saying, we see it as a form of punishment well, that, or political dissent. Well, this, this was something that he was doing in one point of his life. This that is he, he for, you, for you, he, that's awakening. Well, he, he recanted this. Was just that, like, he's starving himself under the tree and meditating for 40 days and 40 nights, more or less. Yeah, because we believe in a fast while praying. So Catholics do. He was going through this, and then he caught on to something. And then as he caught on to something, the demon Mara confronted him. And Mara is the owner of the physical world. And he was like, you will not attain this. You will not teach anyone. This world belongs to me. And, you know, he was tempted by his three demon wives or daughters. And Buddha said, you're all beautiful, but no thank you. Um, And then he offered him, like, kingship over the world. And he's like, you cannot defy me. This world is mine. And the Buddha touches the world and says the world belongs to itself. And then after this fasting, he is suddenly greeted by a woman holding rice pudding, which is like a dessert. Mm -hmm. And he eats... Cuban rice pudding sweet. And he eats that. And the idea is, is that, like... That was like your apple. Well, it, it, it's, it's like the, our apple, the tempting yeah. apple. Well, no, it's not of the, Adam and Eve. It's of not the tempting. It's 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 the allow, it's, it's it's allowing to enjoy life. But is it? There, it there's there's be... no purpose to completely ridding yourself of pleasure. But there is the point of ridding yourself of attachments. So it wasn't a temptation. It was actually a gift, an offering. Yes. Yes. Okay, that's so, very different. So it was like, and that that really spoke to me, which is that, like, you know. When you grow up Catholic, it's not, it doesn't, at least you can say, but it doesn't feel clear what our relationship to pleasure is. Like, it, it doesn't feel. Refrain from. <laughs> it, 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 it's refrain from, but then it's Only like, with your wife. <laughs> yeah. Like, it, it feels like it's not very clear. And then it's like you see with a lot nah, of. No, that's pretty clear. It, <laughs> refrain until you marry. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's, it's quite dogmatic. And you see a lot with people who lose their, you know, their Christian background and that they completely become hedonistic. And what it, what it kind of taught me was kind of like a regulatory relationship with your pleasure, you know, where it's about the middle ground. It's about the middle path where it's kind of an embrace of nothingness. It's the understanding that you're kind of dropped into this world. That is kind of true. Without much direction. I think our parents decided yeah. that we are going to be yeah. human whether we liked it or not. <laughs> That is the truth. Hey. That also, by the way, now that you say that, it's something that I express in the book, that what kind of rights do you really have if someone else decided that 
you were going to become human and had to experience the human experience. So isn't it really an obligation to stand up and not stand by, to uh, fight for yourself, for your skills, for your general well-being, for that of your family and, and your inner circle of friendships, make everybody better around you while you make yourself better? I, I like the last two parts. I like make every self around you as you look at in, while doing so. Well, I, I, I think remember, a- the ma- remember that mantra that started the other mantras we talked many moons ago about if you treat someone as he is, you'll become and remain as he is. But if you treat someone as he could be and should be, he'll become what he could be and should be. And that was something that motivated me to write the other mantras. And that it was one of my mantras until I felt that it could be deleted from the list because I believed that I was on that quest from that person, that point on. And unfortunately, what you get from a lot of the world around you is that if you want to make someone bigger, brighter, better, it's assu- it assumes that you think you're that of yourself. And guess what? That humility it's, becomes another bifurcation. You know, in other words, you spend most, too much time proving to them that what you want is what's better for them. And you want what's better for you. And if you're not willing to be that for me, then I don't want you. <laughs> so... You know, it, I, I it feel is like very, that's a very wordy way of saying when you are at your best, everyone around you benefits. Providing that they believe that. I uh, mean, it, it, some people just think that you're smarty pants and you're smarter than everyone else. And I'm saying, look, what I always say is always the same. And it's I've embraced it since my 20s. It's not that I'm smarter than anyone else. Obviously, not smarter than anyone else. I just know a lot more about the stuff that interests me than the person in front of me knows about the stuff that interests them. That's it. I know more about the stuff that interests me than you know more about the stuff that interests you. Now, obviously... I'm built different, is what you're saying. I just I just seek stuff because of, I guess, my failures in school. So I've had to self-taught and be introspective about a bunch of things in order to be able to do the things that I do in my life, and uh, I try to do the best I can. That's all I can do, really. And it doesn't come across that way. I mean, I've I've received criticisms where it's interesting that someone who's trying to slight me says it in this manner. Well, uh, I might I might I might be standing outside without a coat on, which, quite frankly, as a diabetic, is kind of stupid because I might not be cold outside, but it's cold outside, and I shouldn't be walking around without a windbreak or something. And the person will come up to me and say, I go, hey, you impressed? You know, here I am in a T-shirt. And the person will say, damn, sometimes you look as strong as you appear. <laughs> and that's a slight. It's a, it's a joke. It's a slight. But at the same time, he's telling me the truth. Or I can be standing there and say something like, uh, for instance, I, last time I remember, I was in my parking space. And my parking space where I park, where I live today, happens to be the place where iguanas like to take their dump because it's kind of a shady tree above me. So when I say, I can't believe of all the parking spaces that I have assigned to me, I have the one that's got iguana crap all over it. And it's all over the roof of my daughter's car, all over the roof of my golf cart. It's always on top of me. I'm always stepping in it. My little dots in that I walk around. Obviously, she steps in it. And the person I said that to once dared to say, well, iguana... Crap looks great on you. 
That's another slight. Get it? It's someone that likes to hear the things I say sometimes, but I understand that they understand that I'm overbearing to them. There's a lot of times that people just want to move along. They don't want me to get on a monologue in the five seconds we're crossing paths. I get that. And guess what? They end up becoming in the trap heap of my personal story. I don't really spend much time saving their souls <laughs> because I those were my attempts to begin with. But if they take it that way, I get it. Move on, folks. There's nothing here, here. And so what? Another person will tell me, I tell them a great story of something personal to me, and uh, I am telling the wrong folk. You know, I'm telling the wrong, who in the hell would be interested in this story? Definitely not the person I'm speaking to. And I'm trying in some falsified man, uh, manner, I'm trying to enrich someone who doesn't want to be enriched, and definitely not by me. So carry on, folks. Go ahead and make your day, because I'm not going to. I tried. So I live that way in that bizarre world that I live in. And most people, I can honestly say at this part of my life, can honestly say, hey, man, you're competing with my solitude. That's what I'm telling you. Flat out, either you grab it and, and think something of it, walk away feeling better about what I just said, or you don't. I can assure you one thing. You can't bring it like I bring it. And that's basically my story. So no one should be surprised that this radio station was built if those are my attitudes. Yeah. Get it? You, know? you kind of have, at some point, you you just need to have a winged attitude in life. And you need um, perseverance. And you need an indifference to... Just got to say yes. Yeah. You, the you, Nike you, commercial, just say yes. Because that's the only way that you're going to ever have the will to do it in the first place. Because if you constantly doubt yourself, if you constantly second-guess yourself, it's just never going to be enough to get you out of the door to begin with. Absolutely. Make the hard stuff look easy, and then nobody will believe you did anything at all. That's fine with me. That's the story of my life. I remember talking about, I'll give you a very specific situation. I don't know if this is, I think a, a Buddha would have been proud of me. I was, and I've said this before, and there's no reason why I shouldn't say it again, but uh, I remember how uh, self-aggrandizing it was to say in conversations like this one to other people just here and there and everywhere, passing around conversations, street talk, I actually did something that I find very valuable to the people of Cubist Game. And being the X factor in something monumental is something that is second nature to me. I've done it my entire life. And uh, the most pivotal one was something that was so pivotal, so big, that I was embellishing. I was being accused of embellishing. And guess what? It all came true one day in this radio station when the person in power at the time of these events came here on her own. Can you explain the event? Because it's like so vague, I can't really follow. Yeah, oh, I discussed this with you. I'm just so happy you asked. <laughs> and it was being the X Factor behind the building of the Mass Academy. And so many people look at me, deer in the headlights, like, hey, you had nothing to do with it. You're BSing. Oh my God, you're a legend in your own mind. You actually think you were involved in that? This and this and that. And guess what? The hardest part of 
that project, no one knows but me and the people of, in power, people who were on school board at the time, people who were uh, managers of the county government at the time who saw me at the government center, uh, kicking tables, pushing down doors, insisting on being heard, making legal threats that were were going to come true, and they, they actually did to some degree. And I, I can't, I can't possibly emphasize how easy it looked to have Day County Commissioner, who's now County Commissioner, Raquel Regalado, sitting here for two hours talking about her relationship with me when it started, the things that we did, how everybody took credit for it. It's, you know, uh, as she put it, um, it's everybody's baby now. And it all went out with the bathwater, what you and I did. And it was coming from her. These comments were said by her over a two-hour, one hour each time, two times. And uh, it is what it is. But guess what? It was really hard to build a radio station in order to have those two hours. You know what I mean? That's the part, the hard stuff that you make look easy, as if I didn't do any of this stuff. So I kind of, those are the feelings I have when you talk about... uh, you know, your, your, your Buddhist walk. I can see that you're trying to grasp for that material world and somehow separate it from your spiritual world. And, I, I, and in, I, Go ahead. I, I look at it as, like, psychological discipline because it feels like there is just not a lot of language, I guess, in the West of how we do things, more or less. Do you feel that you're free here in the United States to I practice? Do. I do. Um, do it, all Buddhists feel like they're free here to practice? We do. You don't feel intimidation in any way mm-hmm. or form, which is very no. cool. The only time that the United States has done stuff against Buddhists is in other countries unintentionally. By being um, in the, the cro- lead up to Vietnam, they um, backed the Diem regime, who was preferring the Catholics over Pol Pot. No, 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 no. This was before this. They oh. preferred um, the Catholic settlements with the French. Okay. In the military, they were discriminating against the Buddhists there. Oh. This is where the... Inf- wow, that's, a, that's an intricate story. Can, that, you, that's can you elaborate, or is this for another day? Uh, we can go now. Um, but I'm sure most people are familiar with the guy who lit himself on fire. Yes. The monk. This was no, a, don't know the story, because I don't. This was... Um, it was in protest to, I believe, the Diem regime. Let me pronounce that properly. Diem was our American attaché, uh, our government. Yeah, but he, he was also like a French... Backed dictator of Vietnam. Okay, so the French Nguyen Dien Diem. So this guy, um, he was, was the president of the South Vietnam. He pretty much made the place preferential to Catholics who weren't most of the religion there. Right. So they imposed Catholicism like, they, they like were, the Spanish did in the New World. Yeah, okay. Um, I get that part. Probably Jesuits in there somewhere. <laughs> speaking to speaking about Jesuits, they they are always at the you know at the head of the spear there. This guy um, was screwing um, was kind of messing with the local Buddhist population. Then the guy in question, um, let me get his name, the one who the lit, monk, the monk who lit himself. Um, it was strange. Um, they actually have what's believed to be his heart, like the rest of him burnt away. Like, his fellow monks actually lit him on fire in the... As a sacrifice or as a message? As a protest, yeah. Oh, and he okay? And he never... Yeah, of course, he was behind it. And he didn't move once as he burned. And what is believed to be his heart remained. Wow, and and, uh, we were talking about this today. 
most warlords rules from Roman warlords to Inca, Maya, and Aztec, the liver liver is a symbol of courage, not the heart. So here here it's the heart. Um, Apparently he forbid uh, Buddhist holidays and Buddhist symbols while allowing Catholic ones. Hmm. I can see that. And this was part of the lead up to the Vietnam War after here. Um yeah, I believe that, he was that's, deposed that's a- by the CIA actually. Um the the tipping point was after the pictures had leaked, he's the first lady, his wife had pretty much said, like, listen, if the Buddhists want to do this another, again, I'm gonna light the next barbecue. So everybody gets light, lit up on fire, which well, is war. She, she, the, the 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 point was that the war hadn't broke out yet. But it was. But the French were there trying to yeah. do something in the, Vietnam. What were their What were their motives? It was a Buddhist. That, co- it was a French colony. So, in other words, you believe that the French were involved in Vietnam before us, obviously, they, it, we, and they we, failed we, miserably because of the the colonial part of. Well, we we failed because it was just this. We as the USA or French, both. It was just at a point where weapons were getting too strong. You could not just like. Earlier political conflicts like this, early colonial aspects, like, you know, it was very easy to be indigenous populations when you had better firearms, right? But the question was, as soon as these Vietnamese were getting guns from the Russians, it's like, well, what does an American have to, like, why would an American give up his, like, best years of his life to, to fight in this to fight in this place this so far right, so against far. the guys who are, like, going to live here? This is their home, like. Well, the Ukrainians are feeling this way now. And the, Although I understand this, not a good example because of the no, dis- no, the, but it is because all Ukraine has to do is outlast the Russians here. You know, that's it. Like that's all. Yeah, that yeah. Needs it's their own. Happen. It's their independence. It, it, it's just much harder now. Like that's kind of why I'm a little bit more cynical about people who believe like militarism is the way. Is that you feel, like you, uh, it, this is slowly going to uh, come back to modern news? Uh, we're going to make a jump here. Do you feel that the Ukrainians? Because of their those similar desires that the Vietnamese had for their own independence, there's that other factor, which is not only Russia saying that they aren't a country that ever existed, period, and we know that's not true, but since it's under the Soviet bootstrap, it should remain under the, the Soviet bootstrap, but there is no Soviet anymore. So, I mean, I, I, you I, feel, my, my feeling is clear. Countries provinces should be able you, to rule but themselves But my question is this. You don't feel like the Russians in any way or form are like the French in Vietnam. No, Very they're exactly different. like it. Oh, exactly. They're exactly like okay. it. Like, why? Because they painted their project red. I had to go along with it. Like, no, absolutely not. Like, it's the same sort of colonialism. Like, you know, just because they talk different or from a different part of the world or even closer, does it really change these claims? No, it's, it's, like, also, it's also the lands of some of the most vicious wars in World War II. People don't realize that the Nazis went in there and got their butts handed to them in the Ukraine. In Ukraine, that's not Yeah, and millions of people died, and the victor lost more soldiers than the Nazis did, yet they still won. Um, it, it was, you know, it's... The it's, Russians lost more people than yes, the, anyone that's else. My point. And they won, yeah. And they won. But it's home to the most brutal stuff that Americans are just now getting accustomed to knowing in this cable, podcast, internet, cell phone world. It's good that we are pulling the veil back on what is the side effect of these things. I mean, you look at kind of the attitude I remember growing up with war. 
I mean, more it was a video game. People like people love for your co- generation. It is yeah. They, they, they every time a new war game would talk come out, we would talk about how realistic it was. It was always the aim and goal. And mind you, in these games, you get shot, you hide behind a wall, and then like, and heal, and you heal. <laughs> Ridiculous. Like how to play? Like I play games where at least you have to go and walk and find a health pack to heal. Not yeah. just wait behind the wall. Yeah, and, and I, that, now we have a term for that nowadays, and they're called boomer shooters. Boomer shooters. Yeah, because it's like old people shooters is the joke. Wow, it's amazing. Uh, that's something that I d- really discourage my kids from playing. I don't know how effective I was. I know I didn't buy any of this stuff, but since I was always separated from their mothers, I had no idea if they bought stuff for them. They obviously don't talk about it in front of me because they know that I just detest all gaming of all types. Um, don't like it. I don't like sitting in front of a monitor. I don't like them sitting in front of the monitor. The gaming and, was super important to me growing up. Yeah. Because I had a hard time making friends. So, and then video games were a common language I could talk to everybody. To people that you're completing against at the, in the or, games. Or with. Like, sometimes I, you'd be in the room with them or, yeah. or is it always online? I, I Sometimes online, but like, you know, I really... Like, now I only play kind of, like, multiplayer games. There's Which only means that... Tell me the linguist. Multiplayer means there's multiple people who can play it. But in third-party sites, not in front of you. Well, sometimes in front. I go to the arcade every Friday and Saturday night. And oh, I meet so you're with, a total doofus, yep, freakazoid yep. gamester. But, like, I, I play games for the social experience. Yeah, uh, it's like me with the cigars. It, it, I go it, it, and yeah, I sit down with my or, cigar. Or playing Dominoes. Oh, that was for the Cuban. Understand? Yeah. yeah, for the Cubans in the audience. I was always, I was always uh, enamored by Cubans playing dominoes, and I always sucked at it. But I would sit there and play, and they would look at me because they'd have to partner up with me, and they all like, okay, he's here, no one else is here, he's the fourth seat, sit down. <laughs> and it was always embarrassing because it's. I never got. It's th- not really simple. I, it's I, I, all bluff, and, uh, and I like poker. And, like counting, po- and counting uh, fichas. I feel like poker is one of the best games ever created. No, for me, it's chess. But poker is great because chess, it's... Chess, man, chess. chess. Poker is great because it's like it's not about the gameplay. It's, a, it's about like what what can you do with what you got, right? Poker is all about... It's the most realistic game ever because it's all about playing with what you have and knowing if that's worth the risk. Or maybe you have the best hand, but you get too nervous and you fold. Like, it, and you might have the best hand. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it's it's the measure of a man. The game is the measure of a man. Well, it's it, also, it, it, it's it, also it, a measure of the wealth of the man. How much you have to gamble? Yes. yes, because there's a lot of people that come to the table with five hundred bucks, and there's others who come to the table with five thousand bucks. I guarantee you, the, the mind of the five hundred dollar guy is not the same as the mind of the five thousand dollar guy. So. There's that I, I, factor. I, I've never made any money on poker, but I'll tell you, I've never lost any. Really? So you you know when the fold? I know when the fold. I come back. Um, I remember I, I put I put in two hundred dollars at the casino. Yes. I go in. I play poker. I wait for the table, and then when I start to lose money, I, it, it triggers in my mind: make back your money and, and leave. leave. So that's, that's a very good. That's a very good uh, so, poker mentality. So that 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 is what I do. Like I put in an amount, of and money. if I'm up, I'm out. I, I if I get the, up, if yeah. I get up anywhere close to double the money, I walk away. Yeah. I walk away. I go to my hotel room. I leave the casino to make sure I don't go back, and I sleep on it. I also, since I'm not a poker player, I also always make sure that I take a huge forced by sleeping pills. 
I take a huge nap. It helps not to do this on the internet. No, always uh, at the casino. Yeah. I wake up at 11 at night and get dressed, shower, and go to the casino when everybody else is dreary eyed. I'm fresh, man. I go in there and I actually get dressed. I don't just casually walk in, I actually get dressed ready for this. And it's worked every single time I've been on vacation at a, in any type of casino community. Man, that nap, I go to bed right around 5 or 6 in the afternoon, wake and up. You really a, are old. Yeah. I wake <laughs> I wake up at 11, not with an alarm or anything. It's just uh I just do it that way. Man, it's always it's got to me right where where what you say, I don't necessarily become rich or nothing, but boy, if I'm up I'm up anywhere close to double, I'm out of there. And uh, that's it. I never win the big bucks. There's chances to do it, but I just want to leave with more money than I came. And that was the whole reason for the nap. But I'm, I, it's still chess to me, man. For me, chess, 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 chess. I could play chess, you know, weeks at a time and walk away. Chess and the cigars came together, too. And... Uh, there's so many, there's so many people better than me in chess that it, there's just so many opportunities. People to- have that game. Well, the chess has made a really big comeback with the young people because the the Twitch. Yeah, there's like a huge new chess playing generation now. Yeah, I would love, talking. I would love to. I keep on saying I would love to, but I really don't love to if I don't actually do it. But I've always meaning to do it to get into a chess club. Uh, there's a, there's very formidable Cubans that came from Cuba who are trained by Russians, and be- believe me, you know Russians are famous for their chess, and there are clubs here where you can probably be taught by the best chess players a- around, and I I don't know I don't find the time to do it, but the truth is I'd be flabbergasted if I would just do it and just know that I'm going to be gone. From 5 in the afternoon to 11 at night, every Wednesday night, Thursday night, whatever the day is, I remember taking my son very young to do a summer camp for chess. Oh, my God, he was just floored by it. And he was only 10 years old, and I'm sitting there looking at him, and he started getting better and better. And play with a clock, you know. It's very important to make your moves with the clock as opposed to just playing you and I, and we each take our sweet-ass time to make the move. But when you play... Competitive chess, you have to, you, you know you have your you have your clock right there, and you have and you can see it in the parks in New York when they play chess, man, they play with a clock. You know, sitting there forever to make. In, a, in DC, there was a park that people played chess a lot. There's a lot of chess tables. Yeah, man. In Kiva's Cane, do people play there? I have yet to see a formidable group of people play chess. Like for instance, at the beach park, there are these tables there, and you can play chess or checkers, but I've never seen anybody play there yet. And that'd probably be a, a great time, a great place, a great environment underneath Royal Palms. Nice breeze from the beach is right there, and uh, yeah, I guess we'll have to take it up, you and I, and maybe others will show up. If, if you if you can show me how to wrap my head around chess, because I know the rules, but the strategies elude me. Uh, you know what's probably the best, believe it or not, is chess for dummies. I am a dummy. No, it, there's a book. No, 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 the, I, I, I know, yellow, I know the dummies. The yellow, yeah. the yellow. I remember those are really big back in the day. No, they they still function. It'll give you the basic theories behind the chess. Uh, almost all the theories require, you know, the pawns being expendable, and the pawns are the ones that set up the rest of the game. 
you got to be very patient in the beginning. A lot of times you make the mistake of wanting to go and go for the queen because it's right there to go. you got to kill her. And guess what? A good chess player will, very rarely, but a good chess player will give you his queen because he's going to knock you out in the next three moves. And you just can't believe it. You just lost after taking his queen. Now he beats you four moves later. That's a good chess player. Giving up a queen doesn't need the queen to win. I need the queen, man. The emotion, <laughs> my self-esteem requires that I keep my queen, you know. And a good chess player, you know, it's an incredible piece. It's a very powerful piece. But if you can win without Everything your queen. Everything in chess feels like a calculated risk. And, you know, that's, that's what I don't like about it. Is that, like, I don't like the idea of having to cut off a finger to take an arm. <laughs> yeah. It's it's not it's not the it's, sort of thing I'm comfortable with. It's so it doesn't play to my mind. Like it, you know, I feel it's like war. The, it's real war. I, yeah, I feel like the kind of games we like playing say something about us. Like for me, I like struggled a lot socially, so poker plays in well into the the personality. The, the, my the personality, which is that like I'm going to try to get you to like me, or I'm going to try to get you to fall for something that I'll I'm beat trying you to if play. you don't like me. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll try to trick you. I yeah. can try to trick you. I can try to make you play into something. So, like for me, I like that. I like um, I like um, a lot of fighting games or jujitsu because it's about it's about navigating and realizing your mistakes. Jujitsu electronically or physically? Physically. Physically. Yeah. Yeah. So jujitsu is all arm holds and stuff like that. And chokes. And chokes. It's great. It's great because it's like the closest you can get to fighting, like the feeling of fighting, without having to hit someone in the face. Well, yeah, you liquidate them. You get their juggler. You, 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 because it's like great. Like you, a you, serpent. you can hold them down. You can hold them down, or they can hold you down. And it, there's nothing like it. It's the best thing, because it's like it's pushing you to the where they edge. Have to, you mean where they have to tap out? Where you have to tap out because it's like you doing everything you physically can. It's like the real test of your manhood or your yeah. your personhood. You know, and your strength. Your strength. Your vitality. And that's what's so great about it. Because like I know I look at like. Football or baseball, my ADHD kicks in. I'm gone. I'm like, well, what's going on now? What are I supposed to be doing? Who is the star player I'm supposed to be? Where, like, how many different cities are these guys all from? Like, what you is know, the, the colleges st- and how they succeed? You know, like, what, what's going on? Like, in, in, in those sports, there's too much going on for me to get invested in. There's too much. And as a result, I don't care. Plus, you're not participating. And also, my dad never raised me with the stuff. Yeah, if he wasn't, if he wasn't, uh, my father, since he was uh, a Cuban immigrant, some something in because he had three boys, you know, so something in him got us in there early in the 1970s, and uh, he went so far as getting the Dolphins as his as his client. Uh, my father was a produce wholesaler. So imagine us, we were season ticket holders, living and breathing every game in the Orange Bowl. We wouldn't even be the people we are today if it wasn't. I still have those yeah. I still have those tickets in nineteen seventy. I still go to all the games. I'm a total freak as well. We go to the practices, we wake up at six yeah. in the morning, we go to their practices and we look at the team it, and like, it, it was kind of funny. This guy's not gonna make it. This guy sucks. This guy's it, awesome. We better keep this guy. Well, it was really and we're funny. sitting there watching practice and like freak. And I have to thank my father who knew very little about football, but, but boy, pushed he, you into he, the he culture. Made, he made us a Dolphin season ticket holder since 1970. But it was kind of funny for me, kind of growing up, getting into like nerdier stuff, and then it's like you know, it's like oh, you you go look in the football guys, 
and it's like their faces are painted, they're in costume, they're citing stats to you, and it's like, wait, they're nerds too. <laughs> and they're all, and they're, and they're, they're nerds too. Like, <laughs> Well, what's really cool about football... And now, and now you know, the funniest part is that now, I guarantee you, the nerdiest guys are all at the gym. They're all the biggest guys at the gym. Because really? they're calculating their like calorie intake, they're talking about like oh no the science is, carbs are good for you no carbs are bad for you Car- it's like they're all like these little miniature scientists with their bodies debating that, that's, that's, your every, gener- that's your generation like generation of the like, gym guys like they're the ones and you go around the gym guys they and were you, the ex-nerds and it's like they're they're now like the like they've brought that nerdiness into working out wow and it's really funny because no one expects it no well, there's so much information now yeah. about science and nutrition that the nerds kind of turn turn that knob on, you know. Uh, you know, hell, it's better than Game Boy, that's for sure. I, I, it, it, it's funny though; like, it, it's really kind of funny on that level. How? Um, so you see, now, now, now the gym guys are really interested in like philosophy and history. Oh, and so now they're gravitating towards you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I we became them. We became them because it's like we wanted to express something. Do you find you find a lot of peers here in Miami at, at the same intellectual uh, no, level I, as you, or no? Not us. Um, I would say you as well. Nah, you're, you're, you're more self-taught. Yeah, uh, I'm self-taught. I, 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 I'm self-taught, I, but I still gotta. I, I, I still gotta remember. Are, I, I find stuff. that people are very open to it. I find that people are very open to it, as opposed to in DC where everybody was fixed and ideologue. Yeah, they, they're very much more set in their ways. And a, a big thing that I've learned the more I've looked around. Is especially in politics, people are like, "Oh, well, don't they like right wingers do it too?" But I, I'm more critical of it in my own side, and I see this all the time. And it's it's the it's the still mark of an ideologue. Well, doesn't other side know X Y Z J K L M N O P repeated response why they're actually wrong? Blah blah blah. Like when you're con- when you're accusing me of being a racist and fascist. All the time. I, I've never accused you of being a fascist. I've never. I've accused. No, well, I, I've accused you of unknowingly aiding them. Let, let Let's set the record straight. I I think your side has been duped by them a couple of times. It's really it's really bizarre go, because we don't believe any of that. No, I know, but they they managed to worm their way into we your guys' even, places. We don't even believe that fascism has a, a, a even a seat at the table. We don't even we we know that they exist because you guys are telling us all the time. But, I mean that's that's why I got invested. Not, that's why I got invested in politics is because I was in these political circles, and the stuff that I was hearing them say was like, you know, well the problem with like these other minorities is that they don't have our IQ levels. Like they cannot be trusted in the reign of power because they will destroy everything because they're naturally dumber than us. Like. This is the type of talk that I would hear, where it was like... But can't you, like, elevate that conversation to just understand where we come from? I, I understand from? where conservatives come from. I completely uh, understand where conservatives come from. And I don't, I, I, I I don't, don't see it as uh, they're dumb and we're smarter. I see it as, oh, they want government to maintain itself as it is. A freaking life insurance company with a low-paid army. That's what I'm talking about. And if you're for that... And it's proven that that part of welfare state management of a society is not going to get us anywhere except for more poverty. 
And therefore, if you believe in that but and that, keep that, on believing in that, then I got to call you dumb. But no, but see, but that's a policy discussion. Like a fascist in particular has like a spiritual, yeah, 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 has yeah. a spiritual bent. Yeah, minorities are dumb as hell. Like, they, no, like they have a spirit. Like, let let me properly explain it, not to like pejoratize the other. Right, even though I think the lowest things of these people, like they believe in history as a series of struggles, right? Where it's one group annihilating the other. Like that is the language of history according to these types. So, when you read a lot of fascist literature. They, they, they have some hang-ups about conservatives, but they really hate, like, the humanitarian ethos of history. Or, like, people yeah, who... Yeah, but... Because they, they feel a little bit like... What makes you think on, they on, have like, so much of a say? Like, because... You believe that they're much bigger than they really are. I believe... Yeah, I believe because it's... These people are kind of formed from, you know, military conflicts. Like, a lot... Like, fascist is the rule of the military class. Like it is that ethos. Well, how do you explain? But how do you explain so many generals coming out to be so dirtbag liberal? Because I, I, I feel like a lot of them like want just to retire happily. Like notice lot, I said dirtbag liberal. because yeah. I, I meant it. Yeah, I know you do. I know you do, and I'm taking you at your word. But I, I feel like a lot of like you know because a lot of this sort of fascism is born from a lot of like perceived masculine humiliation but why do you my point is what's my schism with you is look 1619 project on hulu yeah. the greatest story ever but and no, it's wait, all let's focus, a freaking let's focus, lie let's, let's focus let's focus he's watching he's watching the hulu, tv his an AD, advertisement his, on hulu. adhd is kicking in from the tv no because we started with 1619 yeah but like wait, 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 wait i, I want to get into this subject okay why is it that you feel that fascism in 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 the, the state that you understand it is part of the conservative movement. Why do you feel that? I, 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 that's a, they take advantage of the conservative movement because this happened in Nazi. Because they're going to vote for us as opposed well, no, to no, they, they vote for you. Because remember, this happened in Nazi Germany too. Is that the conservatives believed they could have controlled Hitler? There were all these things saying, "No, we'll keep these guys in line. We're not going to let them get the out." The Nazi Party within the conservative movement. The conservative movement that was backing the Nazi Party at the time, because they believed they could reign in Hitler. Um, and what's isn't that okay? I'll take it for whatever you're saying. Yeah, but I'm, like, because because the big thing, what um, the biggest fascist value, like they did a, a score on their like values, and the thing that is the biggest occurrence is conformity, right? So, and this is the overlap that unfortunately your side has with them. Is but that, so, but so, those, so does the woke culture. Well, it's, the it's, cancel it's, culture is demanding conformity. The, the, I don't I, think I, that, I, I would I say that they have their own attitudes, but like, but they like. It's being, not a good enough excuse no, to no, think no, that they're part they, of the right. But it, it's why they mingle in the right better. It's because they look at people on the left. They look at a lot of the intelligentsia. Well, they what look happens at a lot on of the, the left is, and it's the, not forever, but right now there are just more minorities. On the left and there is on the right, but that soon will be changing more and more. I think Trump brought six or seven percent of the black population, mostly male, into his fold. And why wasn't that told in school? Why was it the kids were told that they were to hate Trump in one way or another? Why was that so popular? Because as we see now, it's obvious that his his uh, position on thing was much more in love with his country than the left's position. I think on Trump's position was very much, if you want to pull any like nerve ending from Trump's campaign. Yeah, it was Trumpatopia. It was yeah. like... His own. It, it was like misogyny or like anti-feminism. Like a uh, rebuttal in a... Because you've said men. And I, yeah, I, but I, had, I, I, but, I think that really says... But he like, had more women in his administration than Biden did. 
but more or less his temperament and the way he kind of ran his campaign yeah, it was, was kind macho. of like you know was macho we don't really have to you know strong men we, we don't have to hear it from women anymore. alpha male, alpha males I, I think everyone likes to think of themselves as an alpha male nah I, I I think alpha male is being situational we'll come back to that it's a situational thing yeah yeah um but very much I would say like that was very much the vein of his party if his like his wing of the party yeah and um I think that machismo really appealed to certain aspects of the far right. Like I can tell but you, but he didn't govern in the, uh, that way at all. He governed very much like. Uh, didn't a, really feel like he governed. See, okay, there. <laughs> I, I want you to pinpoint that one. What made you feel like he didn't govern compared to now? You think of Biden's governing me? What's governing to you? Governing because, is setting the stage. It's like setting the stage. What's going to be policy? Where we're going to go? What is my goal? What is my aim? Like that is governing to me. Okay. Like DeSantis is someone who's governing to me. Not in ways that I like, but I, I look back and I see Trump and I saw a lot of posturing, but I didn't really see policy. And even people who he do, who don't like him but worked with him, such as Bolton, would kind of agree that like Trump Trump's attention span would go with the wind. Like he, well, he, he brought in Bolton to appease uh, the Bushes, the but, neocons, didn't, yeah. but never really liked them. Didn't like that he wanted to go to war it, 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 yeah, no, right no, away. No. Bolton, Bolton never met a war he didn't like. Yeah, Bolton. So there's and, if and, Bolton had his way, we would have had a full blown conflict with Iran. I don't think he's really gotten the. I don't really think he's gotten his way at all. And Bolton, any, yeah, and any a blessing this, be upon the Buddha and. <laughs> and in the heavens, that Bolton he's, has he's not always gotten talk, his he's way. He's always talked a very assertive game, but I don't think anybody's really taken him uh, so seriously that you can honestly say he started and ended any particular war. I don't really know what conflicts he had with Rumsfeld, who I knew him and Cheney definitely got into Bush's head to do what Bush's what Bush as a son could uh, outdo his dad. That was Rumsfeld and Cheney. Look, be better than your dad. Takes Saddam oh, out. Oh, yeah. I, I, takes Saddam Bol- out. Bolton threatened the family of a Brazilian diplomat. The guy absolutely goes for any conflict he can. Uh, wait a minute. You're changing the subject. Uh, you, is this like a news release? Or Back this... in 2002. Because I wanted to, when you said that about Bolton. So he threatened what, one of the Bolsonaro people? No, or? no, no. It's 2002. Oh, it's yeah, very it, early. It, yeah, this is back when he was in power with the Bushes. Yeah. Like, Bol- Bolton is. W- a, yeah, Bolton is a psycho by all means. <laughs> I, I think Bolton, like if if Bolton ever had like his developmental years that he in- encountered fascist literature, and actually went to war, he might have been one. But, no, he probably would have been down. He probably would have been out in the first couple but, of weeks. But in, in, <laughs> in his own words, I had better things to do than die in a rice paddy. Well, his own words, huh? His own words, yeah. That's his a reason for uh, avoiding the Vietnam War when he's young. Yeah. <laughs> And that and now he pushes for every other war, like Bill Clinton. Yeah. I, I went off to I, I, I went off on my scholarship to London, and uh, I didn't really uh, uh, I didn't really. Hey man, you got to hand it to W. He, yeah. he served in the National Guard. That's true. Yeah, you know he, that's something. It's something. It's something. <laughs> hey man, I don't have the I don't have the I can't see my character uh, ever submitting myself to voluntarily, uh, I, I, I got it's that gotta out. be war at home. You know, if I see the war at home, like the enemies above me, I can see me in my twenties, I, I vouching that. for the war. I got that out but of me. But to be drafted to take in somewhere, 
You'd have to draft. I me. got that out of myself with a lot of like the hard toe karate guys I've trained with. Take them on arm combat. No, not arm combat, but like the discipline and like the yelling at you and the like you'll do what I say to do sort of drill sergeant. You you find that in a lot of old school karate schools. Yeah, yeah. You pretty much listen to the so sensei. I, I got that out of my system. So you can be you can be screamed at no problem. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, and uh, know that that is what's best for you anyway. Yeah, I I think there's a certain point for me personally. It's something I like. I I would not do it for I like a lot of people. Yeah, and you have to submit yourself in martial arts to understand that your sensei is your sensei. He's doing it to so that you survive armed arm combat, armed arm war. One of the guys, or uh, else you you perish if you think you can do your own the, thing. A lot of the really strong guys usually, um, if they're not fighting people, like if they're not putting their weight in. So if you're doing jujitsu. There's a chance that the guy, only jujitsu really is the one where like the guy training you probably has like knows what they're doing, but if like like serpents, they're like anacondas, yeah. they just well because they feel it. They're, 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 they're crawl up your body before yeah. you know it. They're at your juggler. They're doing the science. They're, or you're they're pulling your shoulder yeah. out. They're doing the Gracie the, brothers or their legs. Gracie's one hundred percent jujitsu, right? Yeah, Gracie popularized jujitsu. Have you seen UFC one and two? Oh man, it's a bloodbath. <laughs> Okay, so I was raised off, like, movies and video games where it's, like, the fighters come from all over the planet. You have, like, a Russian wrestler. You have, like, a Japanese karate guy. You have, like, you know, a Hapkido, Taekwondo dude. You have guys who come from all over the world, right? And But there's never usually a jiu-jitsu guy. Right? Except the Gracies. So, so, like, what happened is that in this move, in the UFC 1 and 2, is that the scripts were flipped. Is that suddenly you have this, like, skinny, white, Hispanic guy... Are Brazilians Hispanic? Yes, they are. I guess you have to count. But they're not white. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're brown just like me. They're So, like, you have this, like, guy who doesn't look like he matches at all of any character and archetype. And he crawls up your leg before you know it. And they beat everybody. They beat everybody. Like, there's these huge, like, there's this. Now, are these competitions, when you say one and two, are there, or it's a, it's a movie. This of... was 30 years ago that there was a tournament held. Okay, so it's actual, you'd have to pay-per-view it, you'd have to look for it. You, you can look it up on YouTube pretty much right now. But so like, it's like a whole day of bloodbath, of fighting. A whole day of bloodbath, but like the fights with Grace, the fights go by so fast. Yeah, yeah, one or, two, one or two rounds. But like back then there were like a lot less rules, a lot less stuff that people knew. So you knew could were... kill a guy right away. Uh, there's <laughs> a sumo guy who lunges at someone, he trips over, and then he gets kicked in the face and it's over. <sighs> Yeah, I've seen those on videos, man. My yeah, no, God. so like, but like, it was really incredible. Gracie comes in and he just wins fight. All after, weight levels or just all everything? weight levels. There's a guy called Kemp Shamrock who was like huge buff guy, looked like a Schwarzenegger. Like, was working on his like wrestling ability over in Japan. Like, and he gets taken down by Gracie pretty much immediately. And it, serpent. That's like, it, it, it was like Shamrock has like fifty go- pounds on Gracie. And he still got him. It, 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 it looks like it looks like if like if you saw these two guys going to get into a fight in a bar, you would not be any like you would be like Gracie the, back off. Yeah, it yeah, did not matter at all. And he still got to the guy. He jungle. still got to the guy, and they all quickly. T- it, it ha- it, he he corners. He pushes them up against like the the oh, fence. He got too close to him. He pushes them up against the fence, and they try to wiggle their way out, and they really really try. But it's like with jujitsu, man. It's a whole new set of roles that you find yourself in. Now, how does he? How did Gracie manage the big trunk, the big torso of the shamrock guy? I have to because, look at it again. Because he can't really like lock a man so big if you're small. 
but you, so you, can, you, you can grit their arms, you can get their neck, lot, you can yeah. get their feet. There's yeah, yeah, a lot I can see of stuff them pulling the elbow right out, out of the socket. Like, you know, I, I love karate, but like what karate did for me is that it broke my physical limits, right? Like before I was pretty kind of, I did not know how to hit that peak of training. And there's something about the way karate... No, because you are the body type and, of a karate cal- guy. Cal- like calisthenics. When it comes to calisthenics, it kind of like, it makes you more flexible and it like makes you hit like a weird sweet point of cardio of like not being tired because weightlifting and resistance doesn't get you tired like you can do weights i can do weights for three hours if i wanted to waste a whole day doing like weights you can't like weight does not get you but you don't use a lot of weight you use a lot of repetition well it's like i i do um so it's like when i did the karate stuff when i trained with um I'll say the real life Mr. Miyagi. I met the guy who wrote the movie. Wow. And I knew the real guy who um, was Karate the basis kid. for it. I, I met the real guy. He's actually like a tough New Yorker mm. who grew up in Chinatown. Whoa. And he has like a Chinese mixed with um, New York accent. No way. Fantastic. He, he, he's like a larger than life character. Right up against a little Italy there. Yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> and I, I got really well accustomed to Chinatown when I was training with him. Imagine um, the egos in those those twenty square blocks of just hard, people just hard asses. is very respected. His name's Kaung Lung. He is one of I, I think that guy made me a man, is what I would say. But like I remember when I was training there, I was breaking bones when I was starting out because it was just on like a whole other level of the training that like you would get in other places. And if you didn't break bones, they'd break your bones. Uh, there was he didn't believe in um he didn't believe in sparring because he believed in not holding back. Also, you full out brawl. No, no, no brawling. Like you would like practice these techniques, and it's like. No, I didn't mean to say brawl, but I mean a full yeah, out, full, full contact out fight. He his, he wanted to train you for that because he had grown up um, as like you know a Chinese guy in New York when when it was not necessarily welcome. Well, you're supposed to shut up. Yeah, so he he was a tough guy. Like he was very strong. Like even in his old age, like he could push you. And they you give you belts and you rose with belts. I, I got to be brown belt under training with him. And under him, like, I really felt like... He came to you or... I came to him because he, he trained... He was in New York. My friend, um, a friend of the family, um, trained with him while they're in Puerto Rico. And um, kind of, they kind of split ways. Not, not for any personal reason, but just like where they were geographically. Yeah. And... Um, the friend of the family was like, hey, listen, it's his birthday. You, sh- you should go meet him. You've been training with me for 10 years. So the last five years um, after I got out of college, I was just visiting, going up to New York regularly and really, really training. Five years worth of that. Like three years worth of that. But like, you know, a good portion of time. And is the person still alive? Yeah, Kay is still around. He's retired, though. So he doesn't he doesn't have a studio or any place where you nope, can learn? Not in, um, the, the school's still continuing, but like he's not around anymore. But very much like, you know, but the way he trained with guys, like there was a lot of ex-military with him. A lot of like... And probably sent there. And Secret Service as well. Yeah, prepared. So the guy was like the real deal when it came to the traditional training style because he had a demand out of you that yeah, you... Yeah, it reminds had. me of uh, Krav Maga. Krav Maga. Yeah. How do you pronounce it? Did you said you, it right. You said it right. I said it right? Yeah. The Israeli uh, um, hand-to-hand combat. It, it, when it came to like grabbing guns and whatnot, um, yeah, getting people disarmed, uh, dealing with uh, street fighting, uh, takedowns right away, 
hitting people in soft spots on their body, hitting people in the jugular. He, he looked at his he looked at his karate like that. Um, and what I kind of got out of it was um, a durability, a, like an acceptance for discomfort, like a real, real acceptance for discomfort on like a weird level that like I still train to like hit it because it's like he he removed that limit for me like that level of discomfort so now what so now when I when, when I when I jumped into jujitsu I was capable of it because that discomfort was something that I was almost like willing to just push past so in other words someone can have you in a terrible hold you look like you're done and you somehow can slip out of the way I've slipped out of holds because I I've, I've trained with enough good people that I know when I'm done so when and, someone and, and reverse the fortune on them um and you yeah, get them in a hole. I, I'm still pretty new at this. I just managed to find a new school right down the street in Keepus came from where I live. Oh, here on the key. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I, I was injured for a bit, but now I'm better and I'm jumping back into and it. And he and um I know I know who you're speaking about. They call him Sensei. Uh I I've shared many coffees with him over the over the years. Uh yeah, he's a talk about brawny, thick guy, uh and uh, you can you can do a shout out to his business if you want. I mean, uh, the Alliance. Yeah, Alliance Jiu Jitsu. Yeah, and uh, that's cool that you're there. And so you're going to continue, or yeah, of course. That's um, very cool. And, and really, it's best it's best that you found right here on the key, man. That way you can be really focused. I mean, what's great about the key is that there's actually so much so packed together. Now, do you do you find a lot of talented people really dedicated to their their art? Yeah, because um, you it, it's it's kind of interesting though, because like you have I, you know your age group, your belt level. Do you have a particular belt at the level you're? I'm brown when it comes to karate, but um, I've been doing it for so long. I'm practically a black belt, but my school had very different standards, so I, I know the material. I just need to go to a school enough, and just get officially get your black. Yeah, that's kind of is like that what you're going to train for now? Just to officially get black belt. I, I would like to. I would like to see if I could spar. I would like to see if I could. Well, do how about the one here um, where the Starbucks is? Uh, isn't that a uh, is that Alliance or no? No, no, no. That is um, flow. So, my flow. My flow, and that's different because it's, they do the same stuff. They do the same stuff. I thought it was more jujitsu there than both of them are jujitsu. Uh huh. So my flow just also does boxing. Oh, they do the boxing too. They do boxing. Oh, interesting, because that's a great way to, uh, man, I, I did boxing workouts for just losing weight, and I had to go all the way over there by Biscayne Boulevard and the BMW there. I wonder if that gym is still there, the fight gym, and boxing is probably the best the best way for me to work out, because time flies, and you walk out of there, your, your feet are wet, you know, your shoes are completely filled with sweat. What's that, what's that balm ointment you put on that makes your pores dilate you put them all over your, all over your body right before the workout man and it just drain water just your socks are wet your your shoes are drenched you feel I, like you I, step I, in I, a I tatter myself in like biofreeze there's a name of that yeah i have like little pain pads that i just plop over i remember um i would, oh, come, but it, that's I, I would come home i would come home after the jujitsu and my ex at the time was like why are you purple all over the place and i was like <laughs> i didn't notice i was bruised and your body, in my case, I, I probably can't do it anymore because of the blood thinners that I take. I'd be, yeah, I would not recommend it after that. Yeah, 
because you're going to bleed a lot if something happens. Yeah, and before you know, it's internal, and I create all kinds of problems for myself, unfortunately. Um, I, I just tell everybody, hey, I'm a lover, not a fighter. <laughs> oh, no, I, I, I completely accept that I'm doing this because, like, my dopamine center in my brain has been rewritten. Like, I, I've accepted that, like... I think fighters should usually accept in general that, like, there's something off about us, that we're kind of craving something that... Well, in your case, you already told me in earlier shows we did that you were picked on. That, that's that's motivation for a lot of developing your skills. Is your... But, I, I, but then, I, like, even as people stopped picking on me, I found it fun. Now, because you, you, can, you can make them regret their... Well, no, but just, like, sparring with someone is, like, it's a real act of gratitude when I find someone strong. You know, kicks the kicks you right in the face, and you're like, whew, come back from that one. Yeah, you guys put pads on your on your legs and stuff to to minimize the blows, or no, this is full out, take it in the face, and that's it. Some, uh, is that you know? I don't see. It sometimes you, it's a take it. Yeah, because I don't see that your nose is broken or nothing. Mine, mine is, man. Mine's shot. Of course, this wasn't because of martial arts or anything. Just simple elbows in basketball. You know, the guy comes down, he, he gets a rebound, you don't, and his elbow's in your face, and you just broke your nose like it was nothing. And I, I, I spent, I've been hit so many different ways, right, left. Intentionally matter. or by mistake? In games, in yeah. basketball, I was just elbowing, it's just <laughs> wham, you know. I'm only, I was only six foot tall, so I was always on the lower end of an elbow. So anybody who's six five or more, his elbow's right in my face. It's just Ow. harsh reality. And boy, he elbows you. He doesn't even do it to elbow you. He does it to get the ball. It's just your face got in his way. <laughs> so I know what I know what you know. You know. I, I don't think I feel like I have the attention span for ball games. Yeah, yeah. Team sports. You already made that clear. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I, I, I get that part. Plus, martial arts is really self defense and uh, tempering your soul so that you don't get into the fight to avoid fight at all at all costs. And then if the person just pers- uh, persists, then they're at a disadvantage because when you take them on, you take them on. And you feel that uh, you've ever had to be in a, in, a, in a fight? I was in a really bad situation a year ago. Um, I met a guy who I was getting along with. And then he like had bouts where his personality just flipped. Oh, passive-aggressive disorder. Like he, he just became suddenly violent. And then I noticed that he was lying to me a lot. But the moment that kind of set me off was, like, I was hanging out at a party with this guy with just, like, him and two other women. Yeah. And... He also got a jealous rage. He he just got mad at me. Like, and I was, like, I felt like he was being weird, so I left. And he cornered me in the elevator on the way out. Oh, that particular night. And he started hitting me. And I was, like, back off. Like, you're leaving right now. And I pretty much yelled him out of the elevator. Oh, so, so you avoided the... the I, I avoided the fight. But it was like, that was the closest moment I ever came to. And you believe that you were able to not fight because of your training? Well, I... I it was weird because I now, was, and I was taking a class with him, right? Oh. So I was going to see him after the weekend. So I was like, wait, the do fa- I... The class was a karate type no, class? No, it, it was... was uh, it wasn't a karate class. It was... Uh, it was a kinesiology class during um, kinesiology during COVID. Um, at this time, I was taking body work. 
Okay, uh, kinesiology is something that I studied at University of Maryland, but that was a study of physical movement. Yeah. Uh, so I was taking the class, and he was a guy that I was getting along with. But you guys were uh, – mine was a, a, a class class, uh, studying it literally technically by reading books and stuff, taking tests, yeah. but not in the physical realm, not in – when you when you say take the class, were you in that kind of environment where you're actually doing uh, motions – on, on each other, you know. In other words, uh, like for more, instance, you throw a, him throw a punch and you hold his punch and it, take it, him it, in the direction of the punch. And then, it wasn't fighting at all. It wasn't a fight. No, thing no at fighting. All. So nothing you, related what, to martial arts. So it was like an instructional class with a. It, it was for like you know, pretty much like a first aid thing. It was a massage therapy thing. Oh, okay, okay, that's very different. Yeah, and he was just a guy I met there, so I was like, wait, how do I handle this? And I pretty much just like got him out of the elevator and I left. And the following day, he didn't remember anything. Oh, so he's completely uh, bipolar. I perhaps, perhaps I for I, sure. Like it, it was like I had never seen anyone flip on me like that, and for no reason. No reason. It was none. It was none. He got like really mad and then wanted to confront me. Also, oh, split personality, or it could have been something. You know, the witches they could tell you they could say things that they want to see if the person acts upon them. They'll say a one woman will lie. You know, to to another man about you, and then that person believes it before you know it. He, you got problems. Nothing really. There's happened. a lot of women that, that like to see if they can make their man jealous. That's not cool, because a woman should never pit two men against each other. What for? That's someone's someone loses in those, and usually the woman loses. Uh, I, I don't think it had both. anything to. He. he totally abandoned two women alone in a house with him just to, to confront me in an elevator that is insane that's insane <laughs> was he younger than you or older than you he was about my age wow so it was just like <laughs> wow it's just, yeah it's just uh you know um i don't even remember my it was the weirdest thing i had ever been through like and and the thing is, it didn't come through martial arts or a no, full contact. No, 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 Kinesiology, no. man. We, we were we were doing kinesiology in our like massage course. And what do you think? Uh, what do you think convinced him to just go away? I think because you're in an elevator. It's not like you got to wait for the next floor to come, or you just pressed any button. Well, he stopped the elevator from coming down. Oh, so he stopped so you guys you'd be alone in there together, like being in a phone booth. Ah. So it that was, could be very hairy. It's like I have no idea. Like I, ha- I have no idea what triggered him, and I had no idea what convinced him to stop. Yeah, it could have been that he was off his meds. That's what it more more likely would be. Well, especially that like. Well, the thing is, is like he he just kind of like I don't I know this word gets thrown out around, but like I caught him lying to me a lot later. Yeah, but was it lies that you were dependent on making decisions? Well, based he was on? like, let's hang out, and then he was like. I sprained my ankle. We're not going to the gym. I need to do some stops. And then it was oh, like... so he was treating you like a like a freaking girl, like if you were dating. And he was like doing drug deals. Ah, man, that's it. He thought you were in his pocket. Oh, jeez. And then I was like pointing out later and was like, your leg seems fine now. And then he laughed awkwardly and he's like, oh, you're, you're a smart guy. Jeez, he, he's playing well. How about... How about we listen to Fred Riley about the 1619 Project, since we started our conversation with that. Okay, here we go.
for all that life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness stuff to protect their slave holdings. Independence from England? That was just a smokescreen. To them, everything that's wrong with America is tied to her original sin of slavery. Here we go. Sorry. Have you heard of the 1619 Project? It was published by the New York Times in August of 2019. It won the Pulitzer Prize for commentary in 2020. Its thesis, the United States was founded in 1619 when the first slave was brought to North America. Wait, that brings up some questions. What happened to 1776? To July 4th? The Declaration of Independence? George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, and James Madison? According to the 1619 Project, the Founding Fathers pushed for all that life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness stuff to protect their slave holdings. Independence from England? That was just a smokescreen. To them, everything that's wrong with America is tied to her original sin of slavery, from segregation to traffic jams. Yes, traffic jams. For the 1619 Project authors, racism is not a part of the American experience. It is the American experience. Is this true? Let's look at three of the project's major claims. One, preserving slavery was the real cause of the American Revolution. If you asked the founders why they no longer wanted to be a British colony, they would have given you a long list of reasons. Taxation without representation. Conflicts over debts from the French and Indian War. And the Stamp Act would be just a few. Probably most important was the burning desire to be free, to chart their own destiny as a sovereign nation. Protecting slavery... Slavery was not under threat from the British. In fact, Britain didn't free the slaves in its overseas colonies until 1833. Fifty-seven years later, after the Declaration of Independence. Yes, the subject of slavery was hotly debated at the Constitutional Convention. But that was after the war was won. Two, slavery made America rich. Slavery made some Americans rich, true enough. Eli Yale, for example, made a fortune in the slave trade. He donated money and land for the university that is named after him. But the institution of slavery didn't make America rich. In fact, the slave system badly slowed the economic development of half the country. As economist Thomas Sowell points out, in 1860, just one year before the Civil War began, the South had only one-sixth as many factories as the North. Almost 90% of the country's skilled, well-paid laborers and professionals were based in the North. Banking, railroads, manufacturing, all were concentrated in the North. The South was an economic backwater. And the cost of abolishing slavery was enormous, not merely in terms of dollars, Lincoln borrowed billions to pay for it, but also in terms of human life. 360,000 Union soldiers died in order to free 4 million slaves. That works out to about one soldier in blue for every 10 slaves freed. It's hard to look at that butcher's bill and conclude that the nation turned a profit from slavery. And many things have happened since 1865. In the almost 200 years since the Civil War, the population of the country has grown almost 900%, and our national GDP has increased 12,000%. Slavery did not make America rich. Three, racism is an unchangeable part of America. This argument is more philosophical than scholarly, but it undergirds the entire 1619 project. It's also pernicious because it suggests that the United States is an inherently racist country that can't overcome its flaws. Yet that's exactly what it's done. 
Today, America is the most successful multiracial country in history, the only white majority country to elect a black president twice. Of course, progress has not always been smooth. There have been terrible setbacks. But to compare American attitudes about race today to America a hundred years ago, let alone to 1619, is absurd. Here's a fact that should be better known. Two million black Africans have come to America as legal immigrants from countries like Nigeria in the last 50 years and have become one of the most successful groups in the country. Why would these folks move to what is often called an evil, racist country? Because unlike many people lucky enough to be born here, they know that America is a land of opportunity for everyone. It's also only fair to note that while blacks have heroically fought for our rights, often against great odds, we haven't done it alone. A vast number of decent whites have also advanced the cause of racial equality. To cite one of countless examples, the U.S. Senate that passed the landmark Civil Rights Act in 1964 contained 98 whites and two men of color. And they were Asian. The great black leaders of the past, Harriet Tubman, Frederick Douglass, Booker T. Washington, Martin Luther King, never lost faith in America's promise that all people are created equal. None of them believed that racism was America's defining characteristic. They were right. Shortly after the 1619 Project was published, a group of distinguished historians, almost all on the left, wrote a public letter condemning the work. They called it a displacement of historical understanding by ideology. They were right, too. I'm Wilfred Riley, Associate Professor of Political Science at Kentucky State University for Prager University. This video was made possible through a generous grant from Dr. Bob and the Shillman Foundation. Uh, uh, so the thing I would add to that, um, or take away from that, is that I feel like... Um, Slavery did not slavery did not necessarily make America rich. It made certain people in America rich. Well, I think what he said in the context in which he said it, it allowed for a lot of mass production at a very low cost. No different than today. We make a lot of stuff in China because they enslave their people and they offer us very quality products. You only need to look at the iPhone as an example. And the labor is really, really cheap. So that part of it will never change. The United States has made a terrible mistake in manufacturing so much in China with really cheap labor. And now it's kind of strangling us because we can't bring those jobs back to the United States because the iPhone would cost 5000 bucks. It's that simple. You know, it's uh, it's. It is what it is. So now I'm going to put another five minutes on of Thomas Jefferson, unless you want to say something. Well, I, I think here, here's the thing that I would just say. Like, I think America's racial hangups has a large more portion to do with, like, the fear of retribution than this desire to be racist. I think a lot of that is, like, an acknowledgement of guilt that we don't want to profess to because we feel like there is an awaiting punishment. Nah, sorry. Americans, because Thomas Jefferson even wrote about this. Yes, but today, the average American, left or right, did not own slaves. But that—that's not who we're talking about. And they don't we're, feel we're guilty ta- about. We're talking about the elite. Americans. We're talking about the elite. Even the elite, who's come from like a great grandfather who did own slaves. Well, sorry, Mike. 
great-great-great-grandfather who might have owned slaves. The only time I can say where I agree with you, I do believe that there was a certain amount, a level of white guilt in voting for Barack Obama the first time. But that white, pros- guilt, that, that white guilt has been around for a while, like even in the 1930s. I can see that then, like, uh, I can see the average lefty say, you know what, now's the time for a black man to be president, and they voted for Barack Obama. Some of them went out and registered to vote for the first time, they wrote for Barack Obama. And I think that the res- residual of, of the Barack Obama fantasy world that we lived in for those two times, remember Barack wins by six point something, six point seven, six point eight million the first time, and only wins by two point seven the second time. So it, it waned in his second turn. Yet he still won re-election, and now we're seeing the residual of that because uh, his vice president is now president. So I'm going to play. I'm going to play Thomas Jefferson's. Uh, version of equality here, what he thought about. Again, Prager University. Excuse me, please. Not oh. a real university. Not a real one, uh, <laughs> except for more effective than all the other ones that you pay Not, millions uh, of dollars for. This one is simply funded by oil money. Okay. Yeah, yeah like, like Yale isn't. Okay, wait a second. Thomas Jefferson not only laid the foundation stone for a new nation, He also set that new nation, the United States of America, on a path we still follow today. His affirmation in the Declaration of Independence that all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights may be the most influential words ever written this side of the Bible. The U.S. Constitution, ratified a little more than a decade later, was guided by those words. Subsequent amendments, including the 14th Amendment passed after the Civil War, granting equal rights under the law, seem, for all their grandeur, to be restatements of the equality principle in Jefferson's original declaration. Yet Jefferson is controversial today because he embodies the contradictions of the founders. Indeed, progressive scholars say he was the worst of them, the most hypocritical, because the very man who insisted that all men are created equal not only permitted slavery, but himself owned slaves. Did Jefferson not see the glaring contradiction between his principles and his practices, between the principles and practices of the infant American nation? According to Chief Justice Roger Tawney, who authored the notorious 1857 Dred Scott decision affirming slavery in the territories, neither Jefferson nor the other founders could have seriously meant that all men are created equal. They didn't act on the principle, so they couldn't have believed it. Modern progressive jurists such as Thurgood Marshall, as well as historians such as John Hope Franklin have, again with an irony that should not go unnoticed, adopted the Tawny view. In Franklin's words, the founders betrayed the ideals to which they gave lip service. They wrote eloquently at one moment for the brotherhood of man and in the next moment denied it to their black brothers. No defense of Jefferson or the American founding is possible that agrees with this assessment. How then can Jefferson and the founding itself be vindicated against this most serious charge? For the answer, let's look again at the Declaration and what comes immediately after the statement, all men are created equal, that governments derive their legitimacy from the consent of the governed. This is the democracy principle, and it is no less important, no less foundational than the equality principle. 
With this in mind, let's turn to the practical choice faced by the founders. Progressives say they should have outlawed slavery in the original Constitution. Yet slavery was legal in all the states that sent representatives to Philadelphia in 1789. How could these representatives outlaw slavery without the consent of the people in their states? Were they expected to do so by overriding popular consent? In that case, they would be overthrowing democracy itself before it was even introduced as the bedrock of the new constitution. Furthermore, as everyone in Philadelphia knew at the time, many states would not have joined a union that forbade slavery at the outset. Perhaps a few would have done so, but no more. Had those who opposed slavery held firm on the issue, the union would have consisted of a handful of states, or it would have remained a utopian idea affirmed by a group of high-minded founders, but they would be founders of nothing. As Jefferson himself said about the slavery issue, we have a wolf by the ear, and we can neither hold him nor safely let him go. It is not reasonable. In fact, it is downright obtuse to ask of statesmen to do what they manifestly cannot do. It is only reasonable to ask them to make the best choices available to them under the circumstances, to hold the wolf in Jefferson's own terms until he can safely be let go. In Abraham Lincoln's view, the American founders did just that. They temporarily allowed slavery in practice while constructing a framework based on anti-slavery principles. In Lincoln's words, the founders declared the right so that the enforcement of it might follow as fast as circumstances would permit. Lincoln's interpretation of Jefferson and the founding was echoed by runaway slave and brilliant abolitionist leader Frederick Douglass. Slavery, Douglas said, was merely the scaffolding for the new constitution, allowed provisionally by Jefferson and the other founders, but with the clear objective that it would be taken down once the edifice no longer needed it. Martin Luther King echoed these same sentiments in his famous I Have a Dream speech. That Jefferson didn't live up to his highest values is not in dispute. But to deny his greatness and his indispensable role in the creation of the nation is both narrow-minded and foolish. His declaration undergirded the Civil War and the Civil Rights Movement, and to this day it remains the anchor of our rights and our democracy. Lincoln, Douglas, and King all understood that Jefferson created the pathway for America to become a better country than it was at the start, a country in which the glorious idea that all men are created equal, is closer to reality than anywhere else in the world. I'm Dinesh D'Souza for Prager University. So, without saying the obvious, I agree with those assessments perfectly. And I think Prager University has taken over the Internet in these teachings more effectively than any of our universities have, because our universities have gone completely bonkers with their woke and their CRT, which is how we started the program. And I would love to play more videos of Prager University, which I obviously will over the course of time. But you just made a point. That what I was talking about earlier, but the event that I did not cite before you played the video um, was the Haitian Revolution had happened around this time, where the slaves in Haiti had managed to successfully overthrow their French colonial masters. Um, so more or less, I think the United States has always been afraid of emancipation for these people because they 
kind of feared that retribution. I think that's a big part of what you can't understand about the American psyche. I mean, that's the white guilt at play. The white there is guilt, but it's being held back by fear. I don't agree with you. I don't think there's I mean, anything l- l- in l- l- our l- history that that I can t- fears fears is propaganda. There's been plenty of race riots about um, over the time, especially when we expanded westwards, of like white people like tearing down non-white neighborhoods, such as you know but Chinese fear, ones. Fear in, that they would be equal sooner than they were, or f- what? They were really, really feared that they we couldn't coexist. Feared that they would want revenge. I mean, I, I, you, you, know seen, where, you know do you know where about I Birth think... of a Nation? Do you know about Birth of a Nation? Yes, please tell us. So Birth of a Nation was a movie done by um, yeah, a Woodrow southern Wilson, gentleman. Woodrow, Woodrow Wilson loved it. Yeah, because he was a southerner as well. So we can see how this was a mindset that predated a whole present, portion. But he was president of sure, uh, a like, university in New Jersey. But Yeah, but so this was an attitude entirely throughout a good portion of the United States where white people were frankly guilty of, which was... If we want the black people to be equal to us, but we're afraid that they don't like us. We're afraid that we know deep down we've done horrendous things to them and they'll punish us. Because even Thomas Jefferson talks about it in his whole scale conversations of sending the Africans over, African Americans over to Africa so they could do their own colony. And this is what. You mean after bringing them here? Yes, which, become, which became part of Liberia. Um, which of, was, of returning slaves, yes. So, but we, Liber- we, we can but, see. We can but see. the native Liberians are 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 the history of Liberia. What makes you think the return of their slaves became Liberia? Um, they just can, joined Liberia that uh, and and became part of the history of Liberia. Or do you believe? Are you saying in the same vein that the ex-cons that were sent out of Britain? Uh, created the nation of Australia? Is it the same vein? Or are you just saying... They just... It, it began in the late 19th century as a project of the American Colonialization Society. It believed that black people would face better chances at freedom and prosperity in Africa than the United States. So, yeah. How many, how many, millions, how many millions of people that you, you believe were sent? In, uh, well, sent? This, this is the history of the country. Okay, so the country was formed itself by ex-American slaves. By yeah, by like American. I'm asking you because I know, I know nothing about yeah, I know. Liberia, but more or less like we we can see how this is like a constant effort. I can see the name the United... Liberia, yeah, liberty, no, but, like, but, but it, it's <laughs> showing that Americans are afraid of integration because they believe there's going to be a big punishment waiting for them if they continue down. And this how path. long do you think that this this sense of fear uh, limited in time frame, or do you believe it's to this day? I believe it's dwindling away, but there are some people who still have it. Like, we can see the first piece of great American art that exemplifies this is King Kong. I mean, let's look... So that's Hollywood uh, making uh, blacks and King Kong together, like the big monster. Well, like, they they take something from Africa, um, they try to put it on show, it's against its will, you know, they can't control it, and it it threatens a white woman... And they have to take it down, well, but and then they feel bad about it. it. Like the movie ends, it was not. It was beauty that killed the beast. Like it was just something that, like, we made a mistake from our arrogance of colonialism. We bring it over, but like, but Birth of a Nation. What I was talking about earlier, before you trailed off about talking how a Democrat liked it, uh, was a movie that was explicitly about how the South was warning Northerners, going, "Listen, the moment you try to integrate these people into our society, they're going to come and kill us all." 
They're going to rape our women. They're going to start murder gangs. And if it's not for people like the Ku Klux Klan, civilization in the South would not exist. Mm, we'll end it on that note. Thank Here you. on the Young and Old show, I, I can... I can see clearly now the rain. Stay free, everybody. Stay free, my friends. We'll be back. How soon will we be back? Wednesday. Wednesday. What's up? It's time to take your money and run. WSQF Blink Radio. If you like our programming on WSQF 94.5 in Key Biscayne, you can also hear us very far away nationwide, WSQFradio.com. And if you like our audio files and our subject matter, subscribe to YouTube Mac on the Rock Rampage. Take care and stay free.